I don't feel like everyone was equally given an opportunity to succeed. This is Brittany, and today we will be discussing the film Stolen Education, as well as the Hawaiian Code Switch podcast. We have come up with several questions to discuss. To begin our podcast, Margie will tell a story about an act of discrimination she witnessed in school. I don't feel like everyone was equally given an opportunity to succeed. Uh, There were some people that I think that my teachers, who were majority white, if not all, um, that they kind of like writ off some students or like labeled them, like labeled them as something that they weren't. Um, One of my really good friends, she is a Latina. And one thing that we talked about is we were in like a chem class together. We were both in chemistry and um, we were both studying the same. We were doing the same amount of work. We were sharing notes. We had given each other equal tools to succeed and we were both working to hopefully get into until honors because we wanted to get into honors our next year we both got the same grades on tests with like minor differences sometimes she did a little better than me sometimes vice versa um and by the end of the semester my teacher uh got to select whoever he wanted to go into honors there was like no certain number he could let in anyone he didn't let in no one didn't matter and he let in me and not my friend, despite the fact that we had the same grades, we were doing the same amount of work, we were both trying, trying, we were both studying, he only let in me. And I feel like the reason that was, was like a little bit behind like race background, perhaps like one thing he had was like a bias that he didn't even know he had. Regardless, like it was really disappointing, especially because like we were putting in hard work. And I definitely think that like, bias wise like it kind of hits close to home especially um in the movie when we saw like uh people being put into separate classrooms like three years of the equivalent of first grade I think that's really sad and I think what's even sadder is that there are still instances that that happens today it's so awful to hear about how students are harmed by the sort of decisions made by teachers and it's also proof that racism is still alive in our schools today Thank you, Margie, for sharing your experience, and she is also proposing the first discussion question of our podcast. So my question for you guys, um, after we watched the film Stolen Education, I kind of started to reflect on my own time in elementary school, and I kind of realized how much has changed. How do you guys think teachers and administrators have changed their teaching to be inclusive of students with different ethnic backgrounds? To be honest, I feel like we still have a very, very long way to go in terms of implementing inclusive content that all students are represented by and can relate to and contribute to in conversation. Well, I do think we have made more strides towards implementing inclusive education. Um, at least since when we were in elementary school. Maybe we just weren't as aware of it, though. Um, I think that by, you know, doing things like examining your teaching materials and expanding the, the type of stories that you tell so that people can, you know, relate to them or feel, like, represented by, like, a main character, you know? Um, I think, like, creating, like, a diverse welcoming classroom environment is something that definitely needs to be worked on too and you know just 
having teachers actually address inequality instead of avoiding it and running away because it's still very much here today. Because of the area I grew up in, I didn't see very many students that had to be included, right? So we all had generally the same background. And if we didn't, it wasn't such a stark difference where it felt like there was an other. Um, so inclusivity wise, uh, we didn't really have to accommodate or, you know, we didn't really, we weren't really given the opportunity to not only accommodate, but also celebrate these cultures um, just because of the, the demographics of where I grew up. Um, nowadays, I think that a really important part, of, especially for young students, I'm an early childhood education major, um, for teachers to expose young students to different backgrounds so that they learn that these are things to be celebrated, um, particularly through multicultural literature. Um, that's something I'm really interested in, like, you know, like how the dominant narrative presents itself in children's media. Um, so through books in the classroom, uh, teachers can, you know, have their students become aware of uh, different aspects of people's backgrounds and learn to accept them and support uh, their peers in that way. The film we watched about segregated classrooms in Texas made me reflect on my own demographic in high school that was majority Latinx, and it hit close to home because I know a lot of my community would be outraged if those students weren't also getting an equitable education compared to the white students, like myself, who attended the school. What were your guys' high school demographics? And if something like this happened, would it affect your educational experience, knowing your peers weren't being given the same opportunities you were? So my personal demographic, I'm from Downers Grove, Illinois. It's like 45 minutes away from Chicago. And majority of my high school community were white students. Um, other than that, we had some Latino population and we also had some African-Americans. But we really genuinely were just like a white community. And one thing that I kind of noticed, especially in classes, I took mostly honors as well as some um, like just like base level classes that everyone was required to take. And I don't feel like everyone was equally given an opportunity to succeed. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, so my high school was mostly white. Um, the next largest population would probably be East Asians. Um, but even then it was, it was mostly white. Um, we didn't really have any black or Latinx students. Maybe you could probably count the number of black students on one hand. Um, and if there were Latinx students, they were white passing. Um, so we didn't really have a strong, like you could, you could call it, we didn't have a strong multicultural presence. Um, if, if there was, um, a difference in the education being provided to me versus my peers, um, I think as a high school, that would just cause a lot of confusion because if you're in the same school, at least, um, and maybe it was just the area that I grew up in, but we kind of all came from the same place. So if some of us were being treated different, differently, um, I think it would just be a little bit confusing as to why. Because there isn't some visible reason or even reasons that you can't see, like the language abilities. Um, and 
there there were different ways that um, different students were taught with different abilities, um, but it wasn't necessarily like a, a fully segregated experience. So this week's podcast, we it was about Hawaiian language, and it talked about how some of the Hawaiian languages are dying off, and it had me think about my own experiences with learning a new language and how challenging it is for me. Um, how have your thoughts on learning a new language changed or strengthened after listening to this podcast, and how? I know for me, I'm learning Spanish right now, and it's especially difficult and frustrating, so I just kind of wanted to know if... After listening to the podcast, like your guys' ideas of learning a new language changed. As for me, I know I'm a little bit more open to it now. I'm also learning Spanish, and I agree that it's super difficult and super frustrating to learn another language. But, for example, at my last job, there were a few moments in which knowing just a little bit of Spanish actually allowed me to communicate with more of my customers. So um, I believe that those those few moments made learning a new language worth it, even though it's such a hard task to do. And the podcast has also helped me see the beauty and value in knowing a second language. So I grew up speaking only English. Um, my parents only speak English. I, you know, I don't have like a language tied to my heritage. Um, but I learned Spanish throughout all throughout elementary school, basically. So maybe from like age eight until taking like AP Spanish in high school. Um, but I think what the podcast really emphasized was the importance of, you know, teaching students young in a way that they can use language in their everyday lives. That way they can keep languages like the native Hawaiian language alive. Um, for languages like Spanish, this isn't an issue, but uh, kind of got me thinking about like, well, I wonder what other languages that schools could teach to maybe revive them in a similar way um, as a school in Hawaii did. Um, and I think it's really important for students to grow up surrounded by multiple languages. Like, I wish that I had learned um, Mandarin when I was a kid, but because kind of like the generational trauma that we discussed um, in both sources. Uh, when my grandma came here from the Philippines, uh, being Chinese, she was, you know, discouraged from speaking Chinese. So she did not raise my mom in a way where she could also learn the language. Um, my, like, none of my grandparents really speak the language anymore. Um, so, you know, being raised in a very Americanized household, I was never exposed to this kind of language. Um, but I, I do think that it is, uh, it would be very beneficial to students now to see different parts of language, be exposed to, or even taught from a very young age, um, not only to connect them to their culture, um, or other cultures, but also, you know, keep languages like the Hawaiian language alive. For me, I feel like the challenge wasn't that, you know, it was a struggle to have to teach all these kids this, you know, Hawaiian language. It was the challenge and the fact that their culture was being just completely diminished by white colonizers. 
And that's what was most challenging, in my opinion, because it's like these people are being undervalued and being taught that their language does not matter and that English trumps all. Yet there's probably so many different ways to express yourself in the Hawaiian language compared to English and so many cultures and tradition tied to the language, too, and art that's also dying off with the extinction of the language, near extinction with the language. So I think that's what would be challenging to me personally, is if not necessarily learning the language, but if my my culture, you know, my where I come from, that piece of me was being taken away from me because somebody decided that it wasn't valuable. My two questions uh, focused more on the film Stolen Education. Um, Enrique Alaman says that everything that the Hispanic and Latinx school students went through was for a reason and that, and I quote, what they stood for is still relevant today. Their resiliency and activism is still relevant today and we have to honor that. So my question is, have you seen schools today honor or acknowledge these issues? Um, How can they further support Hispanic communities? Um, There's also a lot of emotional weight and pressure that Hispanic and Latinx students may feel when going through the education system. Um, because of the generational trauma that their parents or grandparents have gone through. So as educators, how can we support them through that? Um, So first of all, to discuss the generational trauma, I think it's very important to be in contact with the parents, supporting them through conferences or updates or just reassurance that we are catering to their child so that they won't have an experience that limits them based on the factors they cannot control. So as we saw in the movie, um, keeping the students for three years in first grade um, negatively impacted them severely, both socio-emotionally, and it wasn't an accurate uh, assessment of what they could do academically uh, because they only uh, considered the students' abilities through an English-centered uh, gaze, um, while language ability is not an accurate representation of a student's abilities at all. Uh, We can also support these students by teaching their history. So history of these issues and injustices, uh, just like how this summer, the Teaching Equitable Asian American History Act now requires public schools in Illinois to teach Asian American history. So really just making the students feel heard and seen through their backgrounds, showing them that we do care about where they came from, and then also what their background means to them. So whatever connections they feel to their culture, to their language, we want to support that, foster that, Um, really help them feel proud of their cultural background, that being different or, you know, being coming from a different place than their peers, it's something to be celebrated Um, and it's not something to be ashamed of. And it's something that through their education, they don't have to go through what their parents or grandparents went through, that the school system has changed enough to um, celebrate these things and really help these students grow into themselves and develop like healthy self um, grow through this and develop uh, a healthy self concept Um, above all though I think that schools should really be acknowledging the history Um, like in the film um, so many students didn't even know that their parents like Enrique Alman said Enrique Alemán said that he didn't even know that his mother had gone through this. She had never talked about it, um, and it was just kind of all swept under the rug. So bringing awareness to these topics, um, discussing them, not glazing over them, and acknowledging that the education system does have to change in order to improve life for these students and future students, um, that as well.
I think it's really sad that like people in like the Hispanic or Latino community like have issues with some of the education just based on how it was when they went to school. I feel like as educators, like one huge thing that we can do to be like supportive of that is just like proving that like times have pushed forward and we are actively working to change like the bad stigma that they have behind education. I know that like it's something that can take a while to fix and like beliefs aren't going to change overnight, but I do think this is something that as a whole is being worked on for the better. Cameron, I really liked the quote that you chose by Enrique because I thought it was very moving and powerful. And he's exactly right. The Latino community is what catapulted this movement. And we need to honor that because of all the work that they've put in. Latino and Latina students want to succeed, but it's it makes all the difference of whether we're providing them with the tools in home and in school that they need. I think that to better serve our Latino and Latina students, we need to communicate with them and make sure that we build a strong, inclusive community with them. And that could just be as simple as having the same access to information that's being relayed between students in the classroom. There needs to be translations and options so that Latina and Latino parents just as involved in their child's education as the teachers should be. All right, so my next question is also based off of the film uh, Stolen Education, um, in which it brought up the idea of tracking and how it harmed Hispanic students with it, the way that it separated students by race and language abilities. Um, so my question was, how have you seen tracking in your own education and how did it affect your educational journey? Um, so starting with a, a definition of uh, tracking within education, it's when students are separated, uh, can be different classes or just groups within a class, um, basically by level of academic ability. Um, it can be also called streaming or phasing. It's used a lot in special ed classes. Um, and essentially it makes things supposedly easier for teachers to teach to different groups. Um, so meeting students where they're at uh, within their academic ability range. Um, there are some mixed reviews on tracking on how it can help or hurt. Uh, in the case of the movie, uh, Stolen Education, it did hurt these students because um, they were not assessed on um, their academic ability. They were only separated by race and language. Um, well, it started with race, um, but as the laws changed to no longer allow segregation by race, um, the students were then uh, separated by language, um, which is not an accurate repre representation of academic ability. Um, language is just the vehicle for academic ability. So whether that be English, Spanish, whatever language, a student can still understand the same concepts, but just with a different set of academic vocabulary. Um, so going back to the question, how have you seen tracking in your own education and how did it affect your educational journey? Um, growing up in elementary school, 
starting in elementary school really um they had different levels of classes so i was in something called the navigate program um essentially it was like an advanced reading language arts centered curriculum where we would get pulled like a small group of students from each grade would get pulled out of class at a certain time and we'd go and we'd be reading you know an extra book on the side where there would be more critical thinking involved um which in theory is great and you know it it can help a lot with developing those skills however you know when you think about it these students are being pulled out of other classes that they may be struggling in so it's kind of hard to balance like the um different i don't know you almost have to sacrifice or at least what my school found necessary was to do more of one thing but also less of the other to foster you know the more advanced reading skills um that's how it was starting in elementary school um and then i think starting in later elementary school uh we started having separate math classes so um each of the classroom teachers would take a different level of math there would be like the highest there would be two of like the average classes and then there would be the below average class um and the same kind of pattern progressed throughout middle school and obviously high school with um you know different levels of things um and in high school things like AP classes IB um there were we had things called team classes where there would be two teachers in a classroom and that would be for you know what would be considered the below average students um so I mean a very popular method um of teaching um I'm not completely informed on the benefits or the detriments that it could have on a student's development but I think that specifically with the experiences of the Driscoll students um it was very harmful because it wasn't assessing the right aspects of a student um whereas sometimes it could be used to foster certain abilities in a student or um meet students where they are at with curriculum that is more catered to them um in that aspect it can be helpful as well i also experienced tracking in elementary school uh my in third grade my elementary school offered a program that separated students into three groups it was academics, fine arts, and then just, I guess, regular students. And the academics and fine arts students were moved to a different elementary school until middle school. This made students who tried out for one of the groups feel bad if they weren't chosen. Um, For example, I tried out for fine arts uh, along with all of my friends. Uh, We were super excited to go together, and up until that point, we were friends all throughout elementary school. And that changed when all of my friends got chosen um, except me, so I lost contact with most of them until middle school. And um, not getting chosen, but watching all of my friends leave to a new school, and uh, they were bragging about it because they were excited, and uh, this really made me question my um, artistic abilities, and Um, I was really into art at this age. I mean, it wasn't amazing because I was a third grader, but uh, after after everyone else got chosen except me, I did not pursue art and I stopped practicing. And um, I still love art now, 
and I do practice a little more than I used to, but it's not the same after I got, uh, after I was denied in, but all of my friends were, and, uh, between that feeling and just generally being separated from all your friends in elementary school makes me feel like sometimes, like, tracking does more harm than good. To cover the idea of, like, tracking, um, I think it's really sad about how we watch, like, students who were, like, perceived as a lower level or perceived as a higher level, like, get put in an area that maybe wasn't the right one for them. In my own experience, like, where I grew up, I don't really think that tracking was that, like, big of an issue, at least in my general population. This also might have been because I never experienced it firsthand. I would say the only issue that we had with that was when we would take, like, new students, like, whenever, when I was in elementary school, we'd get a new student, and they would take the students' test scores from their old school and base them into what group they were put in, and sometimes that just wasn't accurate. I think that, like, the education system is messed up in a way where not, like, all schools, not all second graders are learning the same things at the same time, and I think that each school should have a reevaluation on their own. But, yeah, I do think that tracking was a big issue. Cameron, I really thought about this question because I think it's a great question, and I think everybody should reflect on their educational journey when hearing that question, too. So like I mentioned before, my high school's demographic consisted of majority um, Latino Latina. So for us, we kind of saw how all of our groups were integrated. And a lot of the times, too, even though the Latino community was the majority at my school, they weren't often getting the support that they needed. Had AP courses offered at our high school and a lot of the times they were at the junior and senior level and still you just saw that discrepancy with the white kids versus the Latino kids and it kind of just made you think like why is this happening? Obviously you take into account like the resources, your family's stability, your community, what you're being offered, is it equitable? And you just see that there's discrepancies lying in how the administration implements that in our school system. My best friend is Puerto Rican, and I'll never forget about her telling me this story of how her sophomore year, she walked into this upper-level English class, and the teacher, who was a white lady, um, asked her if she was in the wrong classroom. A single incident is more than enough proof to show you the biases and the unequitable opportunities that do happen in my high school. And that's just one incident of tracking that I've seen. So I think that there still is a long way that we have to go and administration needs to step it up too with implementing these school practices. In the podcast we listened to about the near extinction of the Hawaiian language, the podcasters discussed how the English language was being favored even to Hawaiian natives over generations. Why do you guys think this narrative is prevailing in modern times? And as future educators, how can we make sure every culture is valued to impressionable students? So 
The second question discusses um, how the narrative of the English language being favored over Hawaiian native languages um, prevails in modern times. And I think we need to kind of discuss what prevailing means. Um, like if it means why the history should be talked about, it's because we don't want to erase what um, these communities have gone through. We need to acknowledge, um, you know, atrocities of the past just to fix them and improve upon them. So like as the question says, uh, making sure every cultural culture is valued to impressionable students now, um, acknowledging the past, um, discussing ways how the actions made previously were wrong and how we value them now by discussing history and celebrating the positive parts, but also not erasing the negative things that have happened in the past. Jill, I know you talked a little bit about how like Hawaiian culture started to like favor English more to Hawaiian language. And I think the reason that is, is because like English is so commonly spoken. And so it's kind of hard, like, especially when you're traveling, like you want to be able to speak the language that everyone's speaking there. And because majority of, like, the population is more, like, English speakers and it gets grows more and more every day, I feel like people start to forget, like, their heritage and start to prefer a language that's almost, like, more efficient, if you will. And so one thing that I think would help change that narrative would be kind of, like, I don't know, implementing, like, ways where like, oh, like you should learn this, or especially I think that you learn stuff better when you're younger. And so like at a young age, like maybe like start implementing Hawaiian and English because I understand the importance of both. You wanna be able to like learn things and get by easier in life by learning English because that's predominantly spoken as disappointing as that is. But you also should never forget like where you come from and what your culture is because then I feel like you lose a sense of yourself.